Apple Pay theft, gift card fraud, Cyber Month, and ransomware busts. All that and more, it's the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am Doug. He is Paul. Hello, everybody. Hello. And uh, we like to start this show with a fun fact. And I have a fun fact that's going to tie into our This Week in Tech segment later in the show. The fun fact for this week is that Sputnik isn't so much the name of a satellite. It's the Russian word for satellite, which was coined in the 18th century by combining the prefix S, meaning together, with the word Putnik, meaning traveler. So when you mention Sputnik, you could be referring to a fellow traveler, although when mentioned in an astronomical context, it simply means satellite, and we'll hear a little more about Sputniks later in the show. Wow. I always thought it meant potato for some reason. Why would you name a satellite after a potato? It was a sphere for a start. It didn't even look like a potato. I was led astray by an American sitcom wherein one of the characters showed up uh, to Halloween as Spudnik, a potato that looked like a satellite. Oh, Spudnik. The American education system at work here, folks. So, Spudnik, because it happened to sound like Sputnik. Mm-hmm. You thought, ah, the Russian word for potato must be Spudnia or yeah, something. something like that, yes. I don't think it is. Uh, let us talk <laughs> about... Uh, Speaking of Russian potatoes, let's talk about this Apple Pay hoopla. I don't get that. That segue lost me, Doug. Yeah, that segue was uh, made zero sense. So, Ever since the tap to pay stuff came out a million years ago, people were like, well, what if someone walks up to my back pocket with a pay terminal and brushes it against my hindquarters? They're going to steal all my money. And it's like, that's sort of not impossible, but very rare. Indeed. In theory, you can either move the card to the terminal, or as you say, you can bring the terminal to the card. And I've read stories, Doug, of you know people who did get fleeced this way. There were, a few years ago, there was a story going around about somebody who allegedly got caught on the London Underground. I've no doubt that it has happened, but it never became a really big thing, I think because it's just too complicated and in-your-face crime where you're likely to get caught for the amount of money, you know, maybe you'd got a tap to pay coffee and you're going to have to basically rub yourself up against dozens of people in a tube train or on a bus. I mean, I don't know how it is in the US, but here you are going to get reported and you have to have a payment terminal, which means you have to have a deal with some payment company who's part of the credit card system. As we've said many times on the podcast before, whether you love or hate the credit card system, it isn't cryptocurrency. There are checks and balances, and there is somebody at the core of it who's in control of the ledger. So I can't imagine you would be able to get away with it for long. As soon as the first reports came in, you'd find it very difficult, I imagine, to get a fraudulent payment terminal to wander around pretending to be a coffee shop while you're actually taking tube trains in London. That's with a credit card. The thing with a phone is Apple Pay and and credit card-like payment systems on a phone, generally speaking, the difference between tap-to-pay type systems, near-field communication payment on your phone compared to your credit card, 
is your credit card doesn't have a lock code, but you generally keep your credit card kind of out of harm's way. Phones, you do leave them on the table. You do hold them in front of you. They probably are more exposed to this kind of thing than a credit card would be, but generally we have a lock code or face ID or a fingerprint or something that prevents them operating when we aren't expecting it. So generally with a credit card, even though there's no authentication of typing in a code on the card itself, you kind of have to get it out of your wallet, hold it in your hand. So the authentication, if you like, is that you physically need to do something with it, which generally doesn't happen by mistake. Yeah. Whereas with a phone, your phone does more often than you might intend kind of lies around, right? You'd leave it on the table. And the lock code's there so that if someone picks it up, you're probably not that worried about them spending four pounds on a bogus coffee. You're worried that they'll jump into your Facebook account and spam all your buddies or that they'll read your secret emails or something. Mm -hmm. Ergo, lock code. And as you say, by default, the good news with something like Apple Pay, until you unlock your phone, it won't work. So this trick of getting your phone near a fraudulent terminal without you realizing it is kind of unlikely. Except for when you're using this express transit feature. For those who use some types of public transport in some countries where the system is supported. And that allows your Apple Pay to pay credit card payments even at the lock screen, but only for certain merchants. If you're looking for it on your phone and you're in the UK, it's called Express Travel is the Apple feature. Like I said, non-default. There are only two providers with whom this Express Transit slash Express Travel system will work at all. One is TFL, Transport for London, and the other is a big UK bus company called First Group. So the theory is, unless you're taking public transport in London or you're going on one of First Group buses, this system, even if you've turned it on, isn't supposed to work. Because when you put your phone or someone brings a terminal near your phone, they'd have to somehow steal a terminal from Transport for London and bring that to your phone wherever you are. And that's meant to mitigate the risk that it only works in specific circumstances with specific providers. But it does work at the lock screen. And as we've said many times on the podcast, and on naked security and writing, every time you allow one extra special feature to operate at the lock screen, well, it's less of a lock screen and more of an unlock screen. And I do have some breaking news. This is available in the US, but not very widely available. Chicago, LA, New York, Portland, San Francisco, Washington, DC, and New York is the only place where it can be activated with a traditional credit card that you have in your wallet app. Every other city, you need to add a special transit card that's a, their own payment system there. So Yes, I did look at that list. I was thinking of you, Doug. Does it apply to the, the no, Boston transit no. system or anywhere in Massachusetts? No, it does and not. It does not. So that's supposed to mitigate the risk. However, what these researchers claim, and somewhat annoyingly, this is promotion for a paper that I believe is being presented at a conference next year. The full details aren't out yet, but it seems that the way they attack the system is that if you have a phone and it is authorised to do transactions with certain specific providers in certain specific regions, and in their tests, 
if the card provider just happened to be Visa, apparently this didn't work with other providers, then you could create a terminal. They don't say, I don't know how they did this, but the check to see whether the terminal really belonged, say, to Transport for London or whoever it was, it seems that they were able to fake that. And therefore, they were able, in undisclosed circumstances, to bill visa-based credit cards authorised for express transit when the phone was not being tapped against or brought near to an authorised terminal, but rather a fake one. I'm assuming, to try and be fair to Visa, that if you tried hard enough, if you knew how exactly how this worked, then I'm sure you could find similar sorts of loopholes with other providers if you really wanted. So it may be that Visa was simply being a little more liberal in how it validated the terminal than other providers, or simply that these researchers, that's the trick they found so far. Still a lot of ifs. Yeah, and according to Visa, because it's an unauthorized transaction on your card, you're still covered by the usual terms and conditions by which you're not liable for these fake transactions. You're still covered by the consumer protection. And I imagine that there will be some tuning of the algorithms that decide whether to accept a terminal or not. The other part of the story, at least this was in the UK, that it was done, they claimed that presumably because it's paying for for public transport and because some tickets can be very expensive or something, it seems that there's a higher limit than the £45 normal limit that applies on regular plain old credit card transactions in the Hmm. UK. Currently, it's about to change. I think it's going up sometime to soon to £100. But at the moment, basically, the blanket limit for a tap to pay is £45. And, you know, that's a reasonable precaution. Like, you can't spend a million pounds. You can spend £44.99. Otherwise, you need the, the pin, sort of second factor. And apparently, they were able to do transactions, presumably lawfully, through a terminal they'd acquired on an account that belonged to them. They claimed they were able to spend up to £1,000 at a time. But of course, the consumer protection would still apply as far as I know. So there are lots of ifs and buts. Whatever finally comes out in the paper, however much of a risk this really is, A, Express Transit is not enabled on anything by default on your iPhone. And B, it is your own choice to allow things at the lock screen. And my own suggestion is just go with the little bit of inconvenience. because. A lock screen where half the things are locked and half the things aren't. It's not really complying with that T-shirt of ours, is it, Doug? <laughs> Dance like no one's watching, encrypt like everyone is. Basically, if lock screen means locked, then you never have to worry what the exceptions might be that you didn't think of. That's my opinion. Yep. So we do have some advice for people to bullets, which have to do with this particular exploit and... uh Three that are just good common sense. I think you covered one of them. Is set the longest lock code and the shortest auto lock timeout you can tolerate. Yes, why not? If you're going to get used to lock codes and you're not going to allow things on the lock screen, practice your lock code. I use lots more characters than most people. I found it a hassle for about two or three days. Then I just figured, you know what? I'm over the hassle. It's part of how I use my phone. If sometimes everyone's thronging me, hurry up. I'll just step aside while I unlock the code privately. They're welcome to get their coffee or buy their train ticket ahead of me if like, it's that important to them to save 30 seconds. Some other tips here. Again, you don't have to turn Express Transit on unless you want to, so leave it off. Yes. 
and then avoid using Visa cards with Express Transit if you're really worried. We're getting into uh, borderline paranoia here, but if you're really, really worried, then just use a prepaid credit card if you're in a country that allows them, and just put money on that card that you only use for public transport. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, don't leave your phone lying around and check your bank and payment statements for weird activity. It's just common sense. That's good. Yes, it seems that the premise of this attack isn't so much that you will be in Mornington Crescent London Underground Station and somebody will have rigged up a fake terminal right next to the real one where they're likely to get spotted. The premise does seem to be that while you've got your phone out and you're waving it around or while it's sitting on your table in a restaurant or something, somebody will sidle up in an environment where they don't need to get quite as close to you as trying to fleece your credit card on a train. And therefore, it does seem to be predicated not only on having express transit enabled and having a visa card, but also not keeping your eye on your phone. All right, that is how to steal money via Apple Pay using the express transit feature on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we shall move along now to a simpler time, a more elegant time of thievery, gift card fraud, and suspects that have been hit with money laundering charges for said fraud. Yes, I wrote this up because I just wanted almost to say thanks to the Department of Justice in the US, they've brought these charges. And if you look at gift card scams in the greater scheme of today's cyber criminality, it's easy to go, oh, are we really worried about gift card scams when ransomware's around, where cryptocurrency heists against bugs in smart contract systems are going on? We had a story recently, didn't we, where the, the amount involved was 600 million. And then Mr. White Hat, as he suddenly became, ended up paying it back. We had a case in Japan, it was 100 million. Don't know what happened to that money. Oh, yeah, ransomware payments. Colonial Pipeline was, what, 4.4 million? So good on them for going, we're not going to let gift card fraud go because it kind of seems like a lesser crime. And anyway, it only affects a few individuals and only for a few hundred dollars each. Because when you look at the charges in this case, the, there are four people charged and they're charged with possessing is it more than 5,000 fraudulently acquired gift cards or gift card codes. That could add up to a lot. Yeah, because I've read of gift card scams where the crooks, they're kind of aiming for $1,000 worth at a time. So they're going, go and buy the $200 ones. That seems to be the sort of median price that the crooks go for. They don't say, oh, go and buy me a $5 gift card. If you take those at an average of $200 each, that's a million bucks, more than a million dollars just sitting mm -hmm. there waiting to be spent of somebody else's money that's already been put into the gift cards. So I just felt that it's easy to lose sight of what some people consider the lesser scams because it's not the megacorps, the kind of people who can afford cyber insurance who are getting hit. And therefore, the scam amounts aren't up in the millions of dollars. But it still hurts the individuals concerned. And as a society, as an economy, I'm sorry, a million dollars is a lot of money on anyone's books. And it seems like a lot of work for these criminals. They're going back and forth to all these retail stores to spend, 5,000 gift cards to spend. 
and they're going around the, these Target stores in Southern California, and it's like it's almost a full time job just to try to spend this money that they've they've lifted off these cards. It seems that assuming that these these people are guilty, they're only suspects, of course. They've, they've been indicted; they haven't been convicted yet. It's not as though they were just doing this to pay off five hundred dollars they owed somebody. When you've got it down to a fine art of five thousand gift cards, and you've got the whole the process in motion where you've got the gift of the gab to go round 20 stalls in an afternoon. Well, because you have to. It's only a semi-anonymous crime because you can't just go online and order a bunch of stuff because it has to be shipped somewhere. So you, you have to yep. go to these retail stores and, and do all this actual yep. legwork. Sometimes they'll buy stuff and they'll go back to another store and say, oh, I bought this. Can I get a refund? And on the charge sheet, some of the case, well, they go in with, with one type of gift card and use it to purchase other gift cards presumably ones that they figured were maybe a little less traceable, or it puts one more step between tracking it back to the fraud. So I guess you're taking a big risk because you're on the CCTV, you're right there, you could get detained by a store detective. The cops could get called while, if they know who you are, while you're browsing around the store pretending to choose which mobile phones to buy, or whatever it is that you can flip easily online. So you are taking a risk. You know, at the same time, I guess you go, I got a gift card. So I guess they've got all the excuses as well that, by which they hope they can get off legally. So here they're actually being charged with money laundering because it's getting money in a way that evades the checks that are supposed to be in place by the bank, which is a little different from being accused of receiving stolen property or something. The process seems to be a way of turning fraudulently acquired gift cards into unaccountable cash. And so the, the way that they are fraudulently acquired, and this goes into our recommendations for this article, is how we have our romance scammers and we have our warning that no legitimate entity will ever ask you to pay for something with gift cards. Yeah, this is if you like a low-tech cybercrime or, or internet-enabled crime, you might call it. It's not really hacking. It's more like social engineering. And in my experience, the, the crooks that do this, they tend to be far away and they might be romance scammers. And of course, Everyone knows that romance scammers want to try and they want you to fall in love with them and then they'll trick you into sending money. And everyone knows that wire transfers, that's suspicious. And the wire, the major wire transfer companies have tried to put, bless their hearts, some checks in place. They can't stop you spending your money unless they suspect that you are knowingly spending it in a, for criminal purpose. They can't do anything about it. If you come in and say, I want to send $1,000, to this person that I've never met who lives in a country I've never heard of and I can see on the internet has been involved in scamming nine times before, but I'm the one he's now in love with, I trust him. The wire transfer company can't stop you doing it. It is your right to spend your money legally however you wish, but they have still put in procedural changes that do at least allow them to intervene more convincingly in many cases. So I guess the crooks have gone, OK, we won't use wire transfer. We'll just say, well, send us a gift card. Because it sounds so much cooler, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It sounds more intimate. Send me a gift card. I'll redeem it at my end. That way I can spend on what I want, what's available here, and you'll have sent me a gift, darling. <laughs> so romance scammers love their gift cards. Also, the kind of crooks that lean on people in an extortionistic way, you know, where they said, oh, I've got the video of you watching porn or whatever. Now you have to pay the money. And then they, they'll destroy the evidence because they're actually a carp or that, you know, somehow they can influence this and you have to send them money. So whatever you do, don't put it through the banking system. 
send us a gift card, we'll redeem it. And the last way we've seen crooks going after gift cards is simply by buying passwords, as far as we can make it online, getting into somebody's network, whether it's a home network or in one case, the Sophos Rapid Response Team looked into this, was a business network, a company network. They got in and you think when crooks get into a company network, surely they're going to go after stealing data or they're going to go after ransomware, not these crooks. Mm -hmm. Systematically and very efficiently, manually, some, presumably some of it's automated with scripts on their end or control C, control V, clipboard buffers and stuff. But basically, they jump from computer to computer to computer really quickly. Can they open the person's browser? Yes. Did the person leave themselves logged into email? Good. Then they open yeah. 10 tabs for common places where gift cards can be bought. So there's a work network where they're trying the people's individual accounts. Did they leave any of those accounts logged in? If not, do a password reset. They got the email open, change the password instantly, immediately click the reset link, go back into the tab find a gift card, try and buy it. Did they leave their credit card on file? If not, move on. Try the next one, try the next one, try the next one. Now, fortunately, in this case, it seemed that very few of the people in this company had left credit cards on file. And I recommend that you don't. I'd prefer to type the number in every time because there's a bit less, I think, that can go wrong than having it stored permanently so, so a crook who gets into your account can just go, wow, free money. But if they'd got away with this, they would... In you know half an evening's work, probably just a couple of people would have got away with at least tens of thousands of dollars worth of gift cards. Yeah. Fortunately, in this case, the the scam got busted because the crooks were in such a hurry that they hadn't removed the unfulfilled gift card purchases from their shopping carts. They went, "Hang on, that's weird." And doing the right thing, hey, let me tell IT, even though it's my personal account, this looks weird. This shouldn't have happened. Once is a peculiarity, twice as odd, when the third person reports the same thing, you know, wow, we've got a pattern here. Let's see if we can find out what's going on. Sophos rapid response came in. Ultimately, the idea was they wanted to know if those cooks, crooks could get in, maybe anyone else could. So the idea was, let's, find, let's rewind time, find out how they got in and close that for the future. So you can see that not all crooks who get into, even into company networks, are after ransomware attacks. Some of them are just going, you know what, I'll take an evening where I can purchase 500 gift cards at $200 each, and then I'll go and have a cup of cocoa and go to bed. <laughs> because it may not be the $10 million that the ransomware crooks are making, but it's still more money than the people you're stealing from are making in a month, possibly even a year. So good on the DOJ for investigating crimes of this sort even though I think a lot of people imagine that it's all about ransomware. It's actually all about all of the crimes, and we all need to do our bit to stop all of them as much as we can. All right, that is gift card fraud. Four suspects hit with money laundering charges on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It is time for This Week in Tech History. This week, on October 4th, 1957, the first-of-its-kind Sputnik 1 satellite was launched and the space race was born. You know, Doug, I had no idea. I, it did not occur to me that that was going to be the topic, given what you said at the beginning. Oh, you thought I was going to talk about potatoes? No, I thought you were <laughs> going to talk about the little old Sputnik. Here we go, yeah. It's very Sput tiny, wasn't it? The size of a, a soccer ball or something. Yeah, 
It came from the Soviet space program. It launched into low Earth orbit. It orbited for three weeks until its batteries died and then floated around for another two weeks before falling to Earth in early January of 1958. So Sputnik 1, thank you for your contribution to space. And now we have uh, billionaires going up in rockets. And who would have thought that in, what, 50 short years, our big concern about low-Earth orbit would be all the junk that's up there. Yeah, so there's good and bad came out of Sputnik 1. Do you think people like you and me were, will ever get into low-Earth orbit for uh, fun in our lifetimes? I find it quite exciting enough riding my bicycle around <laughs> Down a Oxfordshire, hill. <laughs> where the highest point, I think somewhere around about Whitehorse Hill, is about 260 metres above sea level. Mm-hmm. I find that more than satisfactory. Okay. In the same way that I love the seaside, Doug, I love the ocean, I love the beach, yeah. I love standing on the beach and looking out at sea and thinking, if I wanted to, I could get on a ship and just sail into open waters that don't belong to any country. And just knowing that I could if I wanted to is enough. Okay, very good. And then I can turn round, leave the beach, go home and sleep soundly in my own bed. Speaking of sleeping soundly, it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month and we want you to hashtag be cyber smart. And we've got a bunch of useful content that you can use for whatever you need to uh, protect yourself against. Yes, I think we made this point last week, didn't we, Doug, that the downside of Cybersecurity Awareness Month is it is a bunch of people like Sophos and like Sophos Naked Security saying the same old things that they've been saying for the last, what is it, this, the 18th year of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I think. So why bother? And the good side to it is that there does seem to be still be plenty of love in the room for this from people who aren't going to give up trying to make sure that their friends and family stay on top of cyber criminality. Because it's not just something, it's not just set and forget. If there are things that we could and should have done maybe five years ago, let's go and do those now, and that will free us up to have more time to do the things that we'll need to do in the coming year, because the crooks are sure to think of something new. Yeah, and for, for anyone that wants to see how cybercrime fighters fight cybercrime, this is kind of an interesting look into how we, how we do our work here at Sophos. And I can tell you as someone that does this every day, it is nonstop adrenaline and 100% excitement. Right, Paul? Well, <laughs> there are some people who have it even more exciting. Yeah. Because, you know, we get to go in with tools like the GNU debugger and Gehydra disassembling engine and hex rays and Metasploit. However, the one thing that we don't get to use if you're just sitting in a lab-like environment analysing malware, for better or for worse, you never get to go out with semi-automatic weapons or massive petrol-powered angle grinders. What a great segue to our next story. It's almost like I planned it, Doug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Be cyber smart. And now we're going to talk about Europol announces two more ransomware busts in Ukraine. Yep. And this is a yep. big one. 
Not quite as exciting as the last uh, video we had on this, but these videos are very kind of fun to watch. I'm looking at the video, which is why I was mentioning what I call the BFG, which is the big fat grinder, the freeze frame of the YouTube video that the Ukrainian cyber police have uploaded. Uh, you can see the guy walking along with, I'm assuming it's a grinder. Actually, looking at it now, I can't tell whether it's an angle grinder yeah, it looks like for cutting through chain steel doors, chainsaw or it looks like a chainsaw. Yeah. Like, ah, we're going to an apartment block. It'll have a wooden door. And I've just realized, of course, they probably knew the doors. If you remember, when you get in the video, the door opens outwards. Uh -huh. So you can't bash the door in. So maybe their trick is they just poke the chainsaw through yeah. and cut a policeman-sized hole in it and then step through gracefully into the apartment. But they certainly get power tools that they're allowed to use in a what you might call offensive security maybe the people in the flat knew that because once the cops had bellowed that they were there very gingerly the door just opens you just see it click and it swings open two centimeters and then the police let themselves very gently in <laughs> yeah it's, it, the, <laughs> the no door was needed. opened as though uh it was is this a friend of ours playing a trick on us no 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 it's the cops okay come on in i think that was the door was opened up as i'm going to release the latch and then i'm going to go back and sit quietly on the sofa where I was before. Yeah. Because as the Vogons were wont to say, resistance is useless. <laughs> and we got some insights into how cyber criminals operate. Uh, a lot of them use the MacBook for crime and the Windows desktop for fun. And uh, when it comes to hiding cash, a simple shoebox will do. Did you see that gaming computer in the video i did and there's confiscated. a there's a there's a comment on the, were, were you jealous yeah there's a comment on the the youtube video that says like i will do anything for an nvidia rtx video card and they're like well okay here's the plan like start a oh you think that's that he said join the gang he got into ransomware just so he could buy the video card yeah because you see the cops putting the little the macbooks the, the super slender MacBooks, they look like M1s, into the evidence bags and sealing them. And then the cop has to go and get that gaming rig. And it's basically, it's like, <laughs> it's like a, a sort of... You get a forklift. Yeah, it had to, had to follow the uh, health and safety lifting guidelines, <laughs> and it's quite a beast of a computer. Yep. And then, as you say, the big fat stash of Benjamins in the clothing closet. <laughs> it's odd, too. Like, how do you go from cryptocurrency to these stacks of perfectly it's it's almost as if they went to a bank that would trade in the because these are perfect bills how do you how do you yeah i got the i formed the opinion that that must have been some cash out that they'd done fresh packets of hundred dollar bills benjamin franklin's i guess that was their immediate funds stash because in the last video, it was Ukrainian cash, wasn't it? They were all Hrivnia banknotes, and they're quite colourful. Well, I saw those, I thought, wow, I wonder what those are, freeze frame, and you can see 100 on every single banknote. And the design looks like a, a Benjamin to me. So I guess that they just had those in a shoebox, where every good criminal keeps their stash. As one does, yeah. At the bottom of the, <laughs> at the, bottom of the clothing closet. I don't know. Maybe that was their cut and run money. I don't know. No fancy but... bread makers in this one, but two hundred thousand dollar cars, two of those, and uh, yeah, three hundred seventy five thousand yeah. dollars in uh, U.S. currency and one point five million in cryptocurrency. So yeah, maybe it's just 
and that gaming rig. Yeah, which was had to be at least three, three to four thousand dollars, at least. And it's not just the three to four thousand; it's actually having one. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe it's not what you know, Doug. Maybe it's who you know. Exactly. So that is a must-watch video. It's about five minutes long. It's over on Naked Security. It's called Europol announces two more ransomware busts in Ukraine. So it is time for our oh no. And I thought I would take a little break from the heartache this week. This is technically an oh no, but you might be saying, oh yes, that's nice. So on Reddit, and some of you are not going to believe this is real. I was a little dubious at first. Doug, it doesn't have to be real. It's Reddit. Yeah, sure. Apparently, some of the things that are published there are not actually true. Okay, so, well, keep that in mind when you hear this story on Reddit. A <laughs> user called Starfury writes, I do service desk for a large hospital, and our user base is not really technical. A new hire calls, and they've received a laptop in the mail. She says her manager told her to call us to help with the process. I asked if she'd received any sort of instructions with a password to set it up. She said she did. And then the miracle happened. This is a quote from her. I'll just read these instructions and follow them to get things set up. You don't need to stay on the line with me. End quote. This brought a tear to my eye as I've never had one of our users say this. I have a feeling we won't be hearing from her at all, which from a help desk perspective is a good thing. Isn't that amazing? A, uh, an engaged user that is reading the instructions and getting things set up all by themselves, that is every IT admin's dream, and they are rare. And the, the great thing is, if the person doesn't need to call back, hats off to the person who wrote the instructions, because it means they probably are good at explaining things in plain English. Absolutely. To be fair, that is a reason, I think, why lots of people phone up, is they look at the instructions, and it starts off by... Take the yellow wire and attach it to the DBMP. Use the punch-down quango to flip the rutabaga into stirring mode. And you, you think, I'm a techie and I'm lost. Yep. Careful not to fry the Sputnik. <laughs> well, if you have an Ono that you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com, comment on any one of our articles, or hit us up on social at Naked Security. We'd love to hear success stories, too. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. And for Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.